rain again and get back to our room and, and just eat. But for some reason, the food had already sat for a while. By the time we got to the, into the car and back to our hotel, the food basically was ruined. I remember it just not being very good quality food. And so we got back to the hotel and we're soaked again. We had to you know, change our clothes. We're cold. We're frustrated. And the food is not good. It's just one of those nights. And I'm just looking at my wife going, what happened there? Like, that was not what we had planned at all. We were soaked. We had spent money. The food was ruined. We were rained, waterlogged. We were frustrated. We were exhausted. But gladly, we were able to salvage it. How did we salvage it, Janine? Cheesecake. <laughs> we found a cheesecake factory nearby, and they, they delivered, praise the Lord, and they brought cheesecake, some of the best cheesecake, and we chowed. We chowed down, and we salvaged that night a little bit by having some great cheesecake, but... I remember being that, just looking back at that night going, wow, wow, that kind of felt like it was in vain, all of that work to have that kind of experience. But we still had a good time together. It was still a, a blessing time to be together. But have you ever done something in vain? We're going to talk about something kind of like that today as we look at this title called Vanity versus Verity. These two words you might not be familiar with, or maybe you're familiar with one of them. The word vanity, if you look it up in the dictionary, means, it's a noun, and it means the state of being worthless or futile. Vanity means the state of being worthless or futile. So we're going to contrast vanity with this word verity. And the word verity simply means truth. Truth. That's what the word verity means. In fact, I have a sister-in-law. Her name is Verity. And uh, the word's actually a really beautiful word. It means truth. So we're going to contrast vanity, worthlessness, futile, with truth today. And we're going to look at one of the most classic stories in the Bible from the Old Testament. But our goal today is to make sure that we are living according to truth, according to verity, and not a common opinion, not an ideal that turns out to be worthless or futile. That would be vanity, kind of the story I just described. Living according to something that is not truth will utterly let us down, and I hope you guys know that by now. What we need is to live according to verity, according to truth. And we're going to look at a classic story that represents that. But I want to say this from the beginning, that Jesus is the author of all truth, isn't he? The Lord Jesus is the author of all truth. Whatever comes out of the mouth of Jesus, regardless if we like it or not, regardless if it makes sense to us or lines up with our logic or not, whatever comes out of the mouth of Jesus is truth and it cannot be refuted and it must be lived by. Or else, or else we're playing with something very, very dangerous. And I want to look at a passage. Before we get to our classic passage, I want to look at one from Luke chapter 9. And it's, I'm sure it's one you guys have heard and thought about. But Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. If you have your Bibles, follow me there. It's also going to be on the screen. Jesus said to those who were with him, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, this passage from Luke 9 is one of the toughest passages in all of Scripture to swallow because the Lord Jesus draws a very distinct and sharp line between what it looks like to me to actually follow him and what it looks like to 
not follow him. This line is very distinct between vanity and verity. And it's a tough passage. It's a tough one to think about. It's a tough one to preach. It's a tough one to swallow. But it's important for us to understand that line between vanity and verity so we can live the proper way. You see, Jesus didn't have to say it this way, though. He did not have to say it this way. If this wasn't such a distinct truth, there are many more palatable statements Jesus could have said that would have gained him more followers. If he didn't want to turn people away, if he wanted to bring people to himself, he could have found several other statements more palatable than this one. And I think the reason he shared what he shared is because that's how distinct the truth is. That's how sharp this line is. I remember once my mom told my brother and I, and I don't remember it was this big dramatic thing, but I remember her telling my brother and I that we, we stunk at baseball. And that's a hard thing for mom to have to say to her sons, but she told us we stunk at baseball. And the reason she told us we stunk at baseball is because it was true and because we didn't practice baseball and we didn't care enough to practice. We didn't care enough to discipline ourselves to learn baseball. And we kept making our mom and dad come to our games to watch us strike out four times in a row, game after game after game. And finally, my mom, I think, was fed up and said, you guys stink. You stink at baseball. And how can a mom say that to their sons? But that's how, that's how truthful it was. She was basically saying to us in her own mom way, why don't you try soccer or basketball? Try another sport. This sport's not going well for you guys. And uh, she was right. We had, to, we had to learn that we were not very good at baseball. But if, Lord, if the Lord wants to gain followers, and he does in a sense, there are many more things he could have said. And we're going to look at a few statements that Jesus could have said that would have been easier to hear and would have gained him followers, but also wouldn't have been as distinct. And here's one he could have said. If anyone would come after me, let him believe in me and accept me into his heart. Jesus could have said that. That's a common thing to think and believe today. That if you just want to follow Jesus, say a prayer and you're done. Say a prayer. Say to the Lord, I accept you, kind of like a friend request on Facebook. Jesus, I accept you into my heart. You're done. Move on with your life. But Jesus didn't say that. He could have said this. He could have said, let him love me amongst other loves in your life. Just include me. Include me into your life. Let me be a part of your life. That would have been more palatable to hear, but that's not what he said. He could have said this, if anyone would come after me, let him read his Bible. Let him pray and go to church regularly. Just be religious. Be religious, and that's good enough for me. But he didn't say that, did he? He could have said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him be willing to do some hard things for me when I ask. You guys have heard the term, be on call, right? Just be on call. Be on call, be ready and willing. If I ask something and it's hard, just be ready to do that whenever. Otherwise, live your life. But he didn't say that. He could have said this. He could have said, let let them try hard not to sin. If anyone wants to come after me, let them try really hard to be good and try really hard not to be really bad. It's good enough. But he didn't say that. He could have said, let him tell people about me. Let him share scripture on Facebook. Let him tell other people what to think if they want to follow me. But that's not what he said. He could have said this. He could have said, let them have heartfelt worship of me. Belt it out. When it's time to sing, when it's time to praise me, belt it out. If you want to follow me, sing and praise me as loud as you can. But he didn't say that. And one more. If anyone would come after me, let him call himself a Christian. 
let people know that you like me. If you want to come after me, let people know you're a Christian. Somehow, maybe it's a thing on your car or around your neck, or just let people know you're a Christian. But that's not what he said. Once again, looking at Jesus' words, he said, if anyone would come after me, listen to the language. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Perhaps you remember Jesus in the garden before he was going to the cross, sweating drops of of blood, just in agony, thinking about what he was going to have to go through. And he said this in his prayer, not my will, but thine, but yours, God. Not my will, but yours. That's a good example of what we're talking about today. And this phrase, this phrasing is hard to hear. It's severe sounding. And it wouldn't get the most followers, if I'm honest. If I've, I was a telemarketer once, I, I worked in retail before, I learned how to get people to buy things. And if I was looking to get followers, that's not what I would say. But Jesus isn't looking for any kind of follower, and we're going to find that out today. He's looking for those who will devote themselves to him. And I want to ask this question from the beginning. Is that you? Is that your relationship with Jesus? Do you have this kind of relationship where he can ask anything of you and did ask anything of you and you're ready to give it? You see, this phrasing from Jesus is not inclusive, as in Jesus desires a seed in our hearts. Nope. It's exclusive, which means Jesus desires the only seed in our hearts. Everyone else, including us, must move out of our own hearts out of the throne of our hearts, so that Jesus can move in. And if not, if we're not willing for that to happen, then we should consider ourselves not his true follower. Wow. Janine and I and my family are moving into a house tomorrow, Lord willing. And um, we wanted to move in this weekend because we can get more people to help us. It's just a better time to move, but we have to wait till Monday because of this one simple fact. Someone still lives there. And it's not a good idea to move in when the old tenant is still there, right? It's, you guys, pretty obvious. The old tenant has to move out so that the new tenants can move in. We are waiting until the old tenant moves out, and he's, I believe he's out by now, but we have to wait one more day. That's kind of what we're talking about. For the Lord to be the Lord of our hearts and our souls, everyone else has to get out so that he can have full reign of the heart. Now, that's a sharp line Jesus just drew. That is a sharp distinct line. And I wonder, does it sound harsh? I mean, I'm honest. If I come to Luke 9 every now and then, that sounds severe. It sounds too big. It sounds too hard. But I want us to change our perspective today and consider it from the covenant of love because we've talked about this covenant for the past few weeks. And I said this on Wednesday with our group. This really gels every truth together in scripture. And once you understand the covenant, everything else makes sense. And so by looking at this statement from the idea of a covenant, I think we can help ourselves. Because I want us to consider if we treated our spouse the way sometimes we treat Jesus. What if we said to our spouse, whether you're married or not, what if you said to your spouse one day, I will love you some, but I'm also going to love a few others. Can you imagine saying that to your girlfriend or boyfriend before you got married? Imagine saying that to your girlfriend as you propose to her. Uh, You're going to be loved. I'm going to love you. But I'm also going to love a few other women. Um, But I'm going to try really hard, really hard to spend the most time with you, to keep you number one in my life. 
will you marry me? How's that going to go? That's not going to go well. Because marriage is also exclusive love, isn't it? That's what makes marriage marriage. You basically say to the other person, I'm going to love you alone. In this fashion, you alone for the rest of my life. This love is reserved for one person. Not one of many. One person. Not even a couple people. One person. And so is the chief love of our lives. That is reserved for one. One person. You see, the Lord Jesus went to the cross for us so he could love us faithfully with no other rivals and no backdoor exits possible. That's how much Jesus was willing to love you and I. He went to the absolute lengths and depths to love us. And there's no exits possible. There's no way for the Lord to get around that. He made it that way. And now he tells us that if we desire to follow him, we need to deny our own dreams, our own agendas, and live completely sold out to his. That's what it means in Luke 9. And if we understand this covenant of love he made with us, this makes perfect sense. It really does. Jesus wants all of us faithfully with no rivals and no backdoor exits because he gave us that kind of love. And he's brought us into a covenant with him to say, we're going to love each other this way. I'm going to love you faithfully with no exits, with no abandonment. And that's what I want from you too. I want that kind of love from you. We might consider that the worst group of people in the world are the unbelievers, right? People that don't claim to follow and love Jesus. People whose lifestyles are against him. Probably the worst case scenario would be atheists, right? Atheists, people that don't believe there's a God, don't say, I love God, or want to follow him at all. But we'd be wrong. We would be wrong. According to scripture, there's a group of people in a worse case than atheists. And I want to take your attention, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 15 with me. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 9. Matthew 15, verses 1 to 9. I don't know how familiar this passage is to you, but... It's a really important one. Listen to the language as, as the Lord Jesus speaks here. Matthew 15, 1-9. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. That's a fitting one for right now, right? That's a good idea to wash your hands before you eat. But that's, but that's what they're saying to Jesus. Why don't they wash their hands when they eat? And he said, Why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me was given to God, then he need not honor his father and his mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Listen to this language. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. You see, when men try to make the rules in Christianity, we go wrong very, very quickly. God's commandments are truth. Not my ideals. Not my opinions. God's commandments are truth. And there was a whole group of people that Jesus was dealing with that veered off 
of God's commandments and sort of made their own traditions and said, these are the most important things, live by these. And they were holding Jesus' disciples to their traditions. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. You're saying you love God, but you've completely abandoned what God said. See, the religious people of the day that said they loved God, they didn't obey his commandments, and they set up these traditions and obeyed those instead. So they claimed to love the Lord, and they disregard his law. I'll say that again. They claim to love the Lord, but they disregard his law. And so Jesus said that they honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. It's kind of what was going on with these Pharisees. Yes, Lord, we love you. Yes, we're yours. But over here, we're going to completely disregard what you've asked us to do. And you see, these commandments, they were given to God's people. They weren't given to everybody. They were given to God's people because God's people were the ones that claimed to love him. And God was saying, if you love me, here's what I want. Here's what I want you to do. The commandments were, get, were given to God's people. And you would agree with me today that it's always worse when someone knows what is right to do and doesn't do it versus someone who is living in sinful ignorance. Now, they're both bad. They're clearly both bad, but one is worse than the other. As an example, my children, I have older children. I have Haddon, who's almost eight, and I have a baby who just came out of that uh, stage, and he's now one year old, but I hold the two differently accountable for things that we've taught them, okay? For my eight-year-old, if he's throwing food and scratching and biting and things like that, we have a really big problem. Haddon would clearly know that was wrong. Now, for my one-year-old, he's learning the difference between right and wrong. At this stage, he probably knows, but I would hold those two different people to different levels of accountability because one clearly knows what is right and wrong and the other one is still learning. Therefore, one is worse than the other. Or here's another example. What would be worse if one of my old girlfriends who broke up with me 20 years ago is now giving her love today to another man or if my own wife, who vowed to love me for the rest of her life, was giving her love to another man. And I need to preface this by saying Janine is completely a wonderfully faithful wife. But I'm using this as an example for you guys to understand. One would be far worse than the other because one has vowed to love me and the other one has not vowed to love me. The one who claims to love me who isn't truly mine is so much worse than those who don't claim to love me that aren't truly mine. And that makes sense, right? It's worse to vow love and then be unfaithful to that vow than to never vow. And vanity is when we follow something that is worthless or futile. That's vanity. When we follow something that is worthless or futile. So Jesus is telling us that if we don't love him alone to this degree, to the degree of denying ourselves, picking up our cross daily and following him, like he did for us. Guys, he is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. Did Jesus deny himself? Did Jesus pick up his cross? Did Jesus follow the commandments of God? Yes, he did. And now he's asking us to do this. And if we don't do that, if we're not willing to do that, we don't truly love him. And we aren't living for truth, or we're going to use the word verity. We're not living for that today. See, the cross that he's asking us to pick up, it means we die to our own desires and we live for his. The cross was an instrument of death. He says, by picking up your cross, you're dying to what you want 
and you're living to what I want, the Lord. So without sold-out devotion to Jesus, we don't have a covenant with Jesus. And therefore, it's possible we're still in our sins. And that's sobering, I know. But without a commitment to the Lord, we can't say biblically we know the Lord or we have the Lord. Because that's the first thing he requires once we understand the gospel. Follow me according to my standard. According to what I've asked you. According to the covenant. And this brings up a pretty big problem with the modern version of Christianity we have because this Christianity we have here in America is one of including Jesus into our lives to join our other loves. It's like, Jesus, why don't you come in, take a seat next to sports, take a seat next to money, possessions, take a seat next to my hobbies and my family memories and myself. Just take a seat. I love you all. And I got a seat for you, Jesus, so pull, pull a chair up. I, uh, I wonder if you've ever seen an Instagram bio like one that's on the screen. For those who are online, and maybe guys even here, I'm not even sure you can read that, but I'm going to read that. And I found this guy's Instagram bio. Actually, it's me. Um, and this is a fake bio. I made this up and I took a screenshot of it. But I just want to give you an example of what I'm talking about today. Maybe you've seen these kinds of things where it says, I love Jesus. I love the Yankees. I love being a husband and a father. I love air conditioning, which I do. I love Autumn. I love Colombo, I love Wyoming Valley Church, and I love any food as long as it's chili. Now, that's fake. That's made up to some degree. I do like those things. But, and I'm not saying it's good to judge people based on their bios. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that Jesus did not ask for a seat amongst our other loves, did he? He asked for our hearts entirely, singularly, with no rivals whatsoever. That's what he asked for. Another passage from the same text in Luke 9. You guys will understand this one as well. Jesus, in Luke 9, 57, it says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These aren't my words. This is out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, if we're not giving Jesus our everything, that we're seeking to mix Jesus with something else. Uh, my children love apple juice. They love it. They just want to drink it all day long. And apple juice is good in doses. But if we let our children just drink apple juice all day long, there's going to be problems that I won't explain. So what we do is we, we get out a little cup, and we, we like to trick our kids. I just think that's a funny thing to do as a dad. I'm just teasing so we get out a cup and we put three-fourths of that cup, maybe four-fifths of that cup, maybe even more than that, of water. And then we top it off with a little apple juice at the top. So it tricks them, right? It, it's, it's like sweet water. It's, at the end, it, it has the illusion of being apple juice without actually giving them that much juice all day long. But what we're doing is when we, when we do that, we dilute the apple juice. And it's really not apple juice any longer. It's, it's like a sweet water. And I fear that's what we're doing here with, with Christianity in our, in our nation and our culture is that we're taking Jesus and we're mixing him 
with a bunch of other ideals and a bunch of other loves. And when we do that, we're diluting what it means to actually follow him. Not according to what he asked. We're going, hey, Jesus, I, I appreciate what you said and I do love you, but I've got my own system here. And you're, in, you're involved, you're a part of it. In fact, I'm going to keep you first on this list. But what we're doing is we're diluting Christianity. And if we're doing that, guys, we're like people who are running in place spiritually. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. We have no relationship with the Lord. We're living in vanity. And it's worthless. It's worthless. That kind of Christianity will find itself worthless to us one day. And if we're not surrendering all to Jesus, I'm going to say this too, we're not ready for heaven. You know why we're not ready for heaven if we're not ready and willing to follow Jesus like he asked? Because that's what heaven is. Heaven is for professional Jesus lovers. That's what it's for. I want you to imagine if you would go to the Baseball Hall of Fame if you hated baseball. Would that be fun for you? Would it be fun to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame and spend hours there looking at the, the artifacts and things and people you don't know who they are and you have no interest in baseball whatsoever? No, that wouldn't be fun for you. It wouldn't be heaven. If you don't love Jesus, heaven would not be heaven for you because that's what heaven is. It's a place where all the souls who were there loved him more than their own lives. That's what heaven is. And grace was given to us for that to happen in this life right now, to love Jesus more than we love ourselves. The problem isn't that Jesus isn't getting some of our love and some of our praise and some of our inclusion in our lives. The problem is, is that he's not being given everything in our lives, with no exceptions. And if Jesus isn't all to us, then we have to question if he's anything to us, using the terms that he said today. And if he's nothing to us, then we're in big trouble on Judgment Day. When we need a Savior most of all, and we have deluded Jesus to the point that we don't have Jesus, that means we're without a Savior on Judgment Day, and that cannot happen. And it's sobering. But this is the point of the covenant, so we will have confidence, so that we will know he's ours and, he, and we are his. What this is not talking about, I want to be very clear today, this is not talking about being completely mature in our faith. That's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says, follow me to these degrees. What he's talking about is surrender. He's talking about a singular desire to love him the way he loves us and the way that he deserves to be loved. It's talking about willingness for Jesus to have all. And now we come to our classic story. You see, there was once a people who tried to mix serving, loving, and worshiping the Lord with serving loving, and worshiping other gods. They tried to mix them. Um, in 1 Kings 18, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to begin the reading in verse 17. To give you a little context, there's a king of Israel at this time, and his name is Ahab, and he's a really, really bad king. He and his wife Jezebel are basically leading the way for idolatry in the nation of Israel. Ahab's a really bad king. And then we have this prophet during this time. His name is Elijah, sent by God to speak truth into his people. And so Ahab and Elijah are going to have a conflict here. In 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 17. And we're just going to read a few verses right now. and We'll read, we'll read the rest later. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 17. Now, when Ahab saw Elijah, 
Ahab said to him, it is you, you troubler of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore stand and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to his people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Elijah confronted the idolatry that was going on at the time and the Israelites who were doing it, and he tells them to stop attempting to mock God. Or my own phrasing, I'm going to put this in my own words. He was saying, who do you think you're fooling by serving and worshiping the Lord in vain while you also bow the knee to Baal? If you want what Baal can give and do for you, then you can have him, follow him entirely. If you want what the Lord can give you and do for you, you can have him, follow him entirely. But do not pretend to think that you are successfully honoring the Lord while you pay homage to a false god. By doing so, you pretend to mock the one true God. In Galatians 6, we hear language like this. Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see, we cannot successfully follow the Lord at anything else simultaneously. We can't do it. See, Christ demands our all. It's a covenant of love and fidelity. And if we don't, if we're not willing to give the Lord that kind of love, then we're not actually serving him at all. What we are doing is we're actually following and serving a false deity, one that's going to let us down when we need him most of all. And the people of Israel back in this, in this time had this on-again, off-again relationship with the Lord, and the Lord's tired of it. He's sick of it. He's seen his people bounce back from him to Baal, from him to statues, from him to their selfish desires. And Elijah, the prophet at the time, goes up to the people and tells them it's better to follow Baal versus going back and forth. Think about that. It's better to follow and serve Baal alone than to go back and forth pretending to mock God like you love him. He says that's the most heinous thing. The most heinous thing is you're trying to mock God. You're giving him vain love and vain worship. It'd be better if you gave yourself entirely to the false god Baal. Wow. You see, back in Luke 9, the people in Jesus' day that he had the most problems with, they weren't the prostitutes. Not the tax collectors. Not the thieves or the atheists. Jesus had the most problems with the Jewish Pharisees. And why was that so? Because they claimed to love and follow God, but they did not. And the reason for this was quite simple. This is the reason the Lord was so frustrated with these people. They knew better. They knew better. They knew what they were doing was wrong, and they did it anyways. They were serving and worshiping the Lord on their own terms, not his terms. They hated God's Son. They held up their traditions 
instead of his commandments. And therefore, according to Jesus, they didn't love the Lord like they, like they claimed to love him. They were living in vanity and futility and worthlessness, like someone running in place. Here in 1 Kings 18, can the people actually claim ignorance? They were Israelites. Did they actually think Baal was the one true God? Did they actually think it wasn't that bad to follow and serve a false God? Guys, they knew the commandments. They knew the first three of the Ten Commandments were, have no other God besides me. Do not make anything with your hands and bow down to it. And do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And they were breaking all three of them at the same time. And so the prophet Elijah did not think they were acting in ignorance and neither did God. And he said this in verse Kings 18.21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different, two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if not, if Baal is, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. See, the Israelites were given a choice that day. Elijah told them to pick one. Choose one and give your life to that one God. Either fully to the Lord or fully to Baal. But if you continue to limp between serving the Lord and serving Baal, you're actually making things so much worse for yourselves. Because the worst sin is attempting to mock God with vain, worthless, futile love. That's the worst sin. Because now we're talking about spiritual adultery, infidelity, and unfaithfulness. And that's so much worse than no claim to love the Lord at all. It's worse. And we're not encouraging disbelief here, okay? That's not what we're doing. We're not encouraging anyone to walk away from the Lord. What we're encouraging is devotion, surrender, allegiance, fidelity, faithfulness. This is a passage we brought up a couple times before, but I think it's necessary to read again. It comes from Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. Don't take my opinion. This is what the Word of God says. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now this warning was given to the Hebrews the Jewish Christians. And he said, if we go on sinning deliberately after knowing the truth, it is the worst case scenario. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because willful disobedience is so much worse than disobeying out of ignorance to the truth. Right? Staying in darkness, again, is horrible. It's horrible. Unbelievers are in a terrible state, and that's why the gospel has to shine, because ignorance and sin, regardless of where you are, is horrible. It's darkness, and it's going to lead to hell. But wasting light that was given to us to navigate through the darkness is heinous. It's heinous. 
to God, wasting light is worse than not having light. Because it required the blood of Jesus to give it to us. Think about that. The way we have light, the reason we have light today is because Jesus spilled his blood. Now imagine if that happened in vain. Imagine if Jesus went to the cross in vain. Or it's an attempt to mock God by saying, yes, I love you, but no, I'm not going to follow you completely. The Lord will not have it. The Lord will not have it. I told you how frustrated I get when I do things in vain. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to plan and to spend money and to do all of these things and find out what you tried to do didn't happen. It was worthless. God is not going to spill the blood of Jesus in vain. And if there are some who are attempting to mock God by saying, I love you, but I'm not going to do what you've asked, God's not going to have it. Not at the cost of the blood of his son. He also told us this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He said you cannot serve God in money or bail or a career, or your family, or your hobbies, or success, or sin. You cannot serve two masters at once. Either it's the Lord, or it's something false. And this might sound harsh to us today. I hope it doesn't, but I hope it sounds right on track. But the Lord is actually doing something really loving for us today. He's protecting us. Did you know that? The Lord is protecting us right now from false gods that cannot help us, from false gods who cannot do anything for us, from false gods that are going to most definitely let us down. And we're going to prove that here in the story, in our classic story, that Baal couldn't do anything for them. So the Lord is protecting us from living a life of vanity. And I'm thankful for that. Because I've lived a life of that before, and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live a life of worthlessness or futility any longer. And I don't think you do as well. And the Lord's protecting us from that, saying, these gods that you're mixing with me are going to let you down. The Lord wants our lives to matter for eternity, right? He wants our lives to matter for eternity. Can I share you a story of a young man? Uh, This young man grew up in a Christian family who was all serving the Lord in ministry. This young man went to church his whole life. He learned about the things of the Lord. He was kind. He was a young religious guy who wore the right clothes. He knew the right language. He sang all the right songs. He was nice. He was funny. He made people feel good. People wanted to be around him. He didn't evidence a person who was strained from the truth of God, not at least until after college. But little by little, this young man began to blend the truth of God and his love for the Lord with the vain things of the world. He didn't claim to not love the Lord, He just entertained many other loves while professing to love the Lord at the exact same time. And this went on for several years until one day the Lord came to him and said, basically a conversation went like this, my son, what are you doing? The young man was confused and said, what do you mean, Lord? Oh, the sin? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I know it's wrong, but you know I'm still saved, right? Oh, the lukewarm heart? Yeah, I'm sorry about that too, but you know I still love you right? Oh, the chasing after my dreams and my will and my desires? Yeah, I'm sorry about that too, but I figured you wanted me to be happy, right? Yes, Lord, I'm not what I should be, but I'm still saved. I still love you and worship you sometimes, and I'm just trying to be happy in this world. 
So what's the problem? Said something like this, Son, the problem is, is that I loved you so much that I died to save you. I bled on a tree for sins that you committed. Do you really truly love me? You know I don't need your love, right? I have countless angels praising my name for all eternity. I have countless other Christians who actually do love me with their lives. I'm giving you a chance to love me too, but please stop trying to mock me by saying that you love me while you chase after other gods. If you want those gods, you can have them, but you can't have me. My son, make your choice. I'm here for you now, but you're playing with fire. If you don't have me on the last day, then you're on your own with only those other gods that you're currently chasing. And we both know they can't save you. They can't forgive you. They can't vouch for you. They can't clothe you in full righteousness. So please make a wise decision before it's too late. By the way, my son, take a look at my hands and feet. I love you deeply. And I genuinely want you with me forever. Do not break my heart by forfeiting your soul for cheap versions of me that cannot satisfy you. I love you and I want your love in return. What's your choice going to be? In case you didn't figure it out, I was that young man. That's a conversation I had with the Lord at age 26. See, the problem with the Israelites is that they knew the Lord. They knew him. They knew his love. They knew his protection. They knew his provision, his power, and his forgiveness. They knew it firsthand. They knew he was the only true God, and they knew that to serve and worship anything else would be considered the worst sort of sin. They knew the greatest commandment of all time was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they knew that idolatry and adultery against the Lord who loved them faithfully was heinous. Heinous. Treason. And Jesus' words here in Luke 9 is the very same message. If we don't, excuse me, if we who know the Lord, his protection, his provisions, his power, his forgiveness, if we're not ready to be all in and follow him faithfully, no matter what he says, then how can we claim to love him? If we're not ready to follow him, if we're not ready to surrender to him, how can we claim to love him? They don't match. And if we don't love him, then why not? Why don't we love him? Who can love us better than the Lord? And I want you to, if you need to, place the Lord's love next to anything and anyone else in your life and see whose love is greater. Whose love is deeper? Whose love reaches further places? Take the Lord and put any rival next to him and see which one is better. The prophets of Baal, who were natural Israelites, had broken the heart of God. But they had made their choice and had abandoned the one true God for something cheap, something imitation, and something downright evil in nature. But if this wasn't bad enough, They were still bouncing back and forth from Baal to the Lord. Back to Baal. Back to the Lord. Seeking to cover all bases and to satisfy everybody. And you know what that was like? It's like sleeping around and then sleeping with your spouse. At the same time. But sadly, they neglected the fact that the Lord is not and cannot be satisfied with anything but a faithful love inside an eternal covenant. But the prophets of Baal, and I want you to imagine that phrasing, the prophets of Baal. 
There are 450 of these prophets of Baal. Is there any more worthless, vanity, futile job than a prophet of a false god? Is there any better way to waste your life than to being a prophet of a false god? I told you guys, I was once a telemarketer. I consider that a pretty worthless job. How about referees for the WWE? That's a pretty worthless job. Are there any more worthless job than being a prophet of a false god? These guys were spiritually running in place. But you see, they made their choice, and now it was time to put their God to the test. Who's going to win today, vanity or verity? Let's continue our reading in 1 Kings 18, 22-38, because this is a really important ending to our story. In verse 22 of 1 Kings 18, in fact, we'll start back at verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets were 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Verse 27, And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he, re- he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob's, Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two sayas of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars of water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their backs, their hearts back, excuse me. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And with all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord... He is God, the Lord, he is God. Verse 40, and Elijah said to him, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. 
And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Wow, this is an amazing story. The worthless god Baal is tested, and he fails utterly. The true Lord is tested, and he answers profoundly. 450 prophets of Baal are standing there shouting to their God, and nothing happens. And one prophet, Elijah, stands up and calls out to his Lord, and fire comes down from heaven so much it consumes everything. The people that day saw verity versus vanity. See, false gods who aren't the Lord are always going to let us down. They have no other option than to let us down. They're false. They're vanity. They're worthless. They're futile. They're useless. And since Baal was nothing but an imaginary god, Elijah had no problem mocking their god's lack of presence and power. He said this, At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. He's in the bathroom. Or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. False. Vanity. Futile. Worthless. False gods are always going to let us down, but the Lord can never ever let us down. And in case we think that infidelity to the Lord is going to be winked at instead of judged severely, that's why verse 40 is here, starting in verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them, seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. There are grave consequences for idolatry. We need to pay attention to that. Grave consequences for idolatry. Now, if we're there today, we can repent. Praise the Lord. We can find forgiveness. But we cannot continue in idolatry. Cannot continue in unfaithfulness to the Lord. And that is their story. That is their legacy, okay? It does not have to be ours. This does not have to be the way our story ends if we are here the Lord is teaching us and in warning us what it means to live in verity versus vanity, truth versus worthlessness. He wants us to live for truth. He wants us to live in love, in his love. He wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. But we have to choose only him. We must listen to his words because his words are truth. His words are truth. So a few questions before we end today, before we close today. Because this boils down to vanity or verity, it really does. Question number one, do you really want a cheap version of the Lord that can do nothing for you? That will most definitely let you down. And I hope you say, of course not. Of course not. We want a true God that can love us and protect us and save us forever. And we can have that God. We can have the God that can do all of those things. Number two, do you want to dilute our love with the Lord by mixing it with other loves and other allegiances and other things and other people and therefore committing idolatry and adultery against the Lord? Is that what our legacy is going to be? Just like the Israelites, we mixed you, Lord, with these other loves? I'd hope you say, of course not. We want the Lord to have all of us and we want all of him. Number three, do we want faithfulness, fidelity, and allegiance to the Lord for all he has done and all he is worthy of? Or let's ask it this way. Do you want a God that you can depend on with your eternal soul? 
Think how long eternity is. Do you want a God that you can depend upon for the rest of eternity with your soul? And I would hope you say, absolutely. As we summarize the two passages that we talked about today in Luke 9, we'll read it one more time. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And once again, in 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Wyoming Valley Church, make your choice. And follow the Lord faithfully. Let us love the Lord the way he taught us. Let us love the Lord the way he is worthy of. And he will promise, and he will stand by his love that he promised us as well, because this is a covenant, and the covenant is real. It cannot be duplicated. The covenant cannot be replicated. The covenant cannot be done without. The covenant is the fountain of all eternal blessings and riches. This covenant is undeserving for us to be a part of. But it's such a treasure of peace, love, and security. To not give all to Jesus is to reject the greatest gift of all time, his covenantal love. Perhaps you guys remember the old song, I Surrender All. I'm not going to sing because that wouldn't go well, but I do want to quote this song right before we pray. Listen to the lyrics of this song. It says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit, truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power, let thy blessing fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Can you say that today with confidence? See, the Lord is worthy of our singular love, our singular faithfulness, our singular devotion, and I want everyone to live for verity and not vanity, so does the Lord. As we pray today, I'm going to ask you to do this, to check your heart, check your soul today, and check and see if this is possibly a time that you either need to commit to the Lord for the first time or recommit to the Lord and say to the Lord, I'm yours, with no additions with no subtractions, with full allegiance, with full surrender. Lord, I'm yours. Can we bow and pray? Father, I thank you for the word of God. Without the word of God, we would not know truth. We would only guess. 
I thank you for what you did in my soul many years back as you confronted me with truth that I didn't want to hear. It was hard, it was awkward, it was embarrassing. But because you did so, Father, you woke me up. You set my eyes upon the worth, the value of Jesus Christ to my soul. And you showed me the futility of chasing anything and everything else. Father, I pray that you'd speak to the souls and hearts who are here, that only you can cause the increase. I pray that you would touch and soften souls who perhaps aren't following you today, haven't surrendered to you today, haven't given you their primary love and primary allegiance and primary devotion. Father, teach us, guide us into truth. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for new opportunities to follow Jesus better today than we did up to this point. And let us say, as the old song says, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. We praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.